And all of a sudden, I was getting all of this conversation like, what are you doing standing next to this white woman who doesn't even care about you? Like, do you see what's happening? Mm -hmm. And I was so blown away. Mm. I was so proud of being there at the Women's March. I was so proud of how I was showing up with the feminist movement. Mm -hmm. And I still am. Mm. But I had not yet come to that intersection of who I was as a black woman and who I was as a feminist. So, Nava, what's Mm -hmm. going on, lady? Oh, nothing much. I'm looking forward to Rachel. I've been following her for some time, Mm -hmm. and I think she brings up some uh, just really key points. Yeah, 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 definitely. That's Rachel Cargill, of course. Mm -hmm. I'm engaged in a number of spaces. Mm -hmm. I see her doing a lot of work in... um, you know, um, feminism, particularly yeah. black feminism. Yeah, and women uh, of color, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah And yeah. she's creating these spaces. She's got her organization mm-hmm. um, that is all about creating that space for, for black women and women yeah. of color. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I think she's just one of those minds that you just want to kind of listen to her just talk, talk, mm. talk, talk, talk. Yeah, 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 yeah. Particularly because I'm so quiet, right? <laughs> <laughs> You know, it's amazing because I, I think one of the things that, you know, doing research on her that's really interesting is she mm. talks about this kind of inner work feeding the outer work mm. and like how this important, both of those things are critically important to mm. anything that we do, but particularly in, you know, public service, mm. you know, mm. and uh, it just had me thinking of like, I'm, you know, how, you know, you've been engaged in advocacy, mm. you know, for young people mm. and uh, that's been a part of this incredible like life of service that you've built for yourself, you know, mm. um, and how do you? How does that fit in for you? You know, is that that whole idea of this inner work tying to the outer work? Yeah, it's the idea of of what is known as kind of the, the double crusade. Oh wow! Um, and this is from the Baha'i teaching. The mm-hmm. idea that we we have two works in progress. Mm-hmm. One is the inner work that we're doing within ourselves mm-hmm. to grow ourselves, yeah. develop ourselves to a place that we can be conducive to the positive transformation of, of humanity. Mm-hmm. And then there is that other mm-hmm. force at work mm-hmm. that we should be working on, which is. Um, transforming the lives of our community. Mm, so there's yeah. that inner work and then there's that community level. And yeah. one thing about Rachel is that she touches on both and yeah. that she's very adamant about holding yourself to account, mm-hmm. very adamant about studying, about mm-hmm. learning, about researching and growing and failing and then yeah. picking up and messing up and learning and yeah. then keep going again. Yeah. And let's let's talk about that with her today. That sounds good, man. Let's go get some uh, insight on this double crusade. You ready? Okay, let's do it. Let's do it. Undaunted, presented by... Choose Unity. Let's make it happen. Okay. Cool. I am super, super excited because I have been following you for a very long time. And when they told us that you're going to be here with us in the flesh and sharing energy with us, I, I, we got so excited. Thank you. I appreciate the energy. No, no, of course. <laughs> Educator, writer, entrepreneur, mm-hmm. activist. He's like, what, do you, what do you not he's do? He's like what every do, woman. <laughs> what do you like not the song, do? every woman. Yeah. I show up. I show up. I feel very grateful in my career in that way mm-hmm. that I've been able to find mm-hmm. a very specific pinpointed mm. set of values mm. and then I just get to find new ways to show up and mm. present them and live in them and mm. um, yeah I feel very grateful that I found a career doing really meaningful work mm. it's beautiful yeah. you're living a full spiritual and human experience yeah I'm grateful for it yeah. yeah you know one of the things that really stood out to me in your work was how you viewed feminism mm. and the lens through which you viewed feminism mm-hmm. and you know, one thing that I've been noticing is that, you know, when we have civil rights movements in mm. this country, mm-hmm. it's generally followed by a feminist movement. Mm-hmm. 
Because of course, when we come out yeah. from this place under the rug and yeah. we speak out and our voices mm -hmm. are heard, then everyone else has a, it's like everyone else has permission mm -hmm. from places of oppression to come out and speak and have mm -hmm. their voices be heard. But you particularly talk about the experience for a woman of color. Mm -hmm. Can you speak a little bit about how that's played out for you and where that sits in your heart right now and in your work? Yeah, so I came into this conversation as a feminist. So I came in saying, I'm a feminist. Here's what I know to be true. Here's what I know I deserve. Here's what I know that across the board women deserve. Yeah. And I came into the feminist movement in my early 20s. I wasn't super familiar with it growing up in Midwest Ohio. Um, I grew up very poor and thinking about the feminist movement or our rights were not at the top of our list. You know, we were surviving. We mm -hmm. were trying to exist. And so once I started on my own career path and I moved to New York City, I started to get involved with the feminist movement through a lot of the things I was learning online, people I was following, websites and blogs I was reading, and documentaries I was watching. And one night I was nannying. I was living in um, DC at the time, and I was nannying for a family. And I was sitting on the couch. I had put the kids to bed, and I watched a documentary mm -hmm. on the feminist movement. And it was, all, it was really following the work of Gloria Steinem, yeah. but it went through all of the waves of the feminist movement. And that was my first time really seeing it in a condensed way. And yeah having yeah. a full view understanding of what was happening. I was seeing how the queer community was playing into mm. it. I was seeing how different black women were leading in different ways. Mm -hmm. And I was just blown away by all of this information that I hadn't learned. Yeah. And so I started deep diving myself and really learning and trying to get a better understanding of, you know, I remember recognizing that people were fighting for pay equality mm. and me being like, wow, I didn't even know this was an issue. I wouldn't have even been able to fight against this if I would have just had this information. You know, I could have at least come in knowing that I was fighting for something instead of just being tossed into this world without an understanding. Yeah. And so as soon as I started learning, I started to deep dive and get my own understanding of things. And I started to get really passionate about it. I joined the Young Professionals Board at the Miss Foundation. I um, organized a with my friend Dana Sukow, a bus of women to go to the women's march that was happening in DC. So over, you know, three or four years, I was deep diving, getting involved, and it was widely just around the conversation of feminism, mm. how I existed in the world as a woman and mm. how other women related to all of our experiences, work, children, marriage, pay. And then at the women's march, I had a photo go viral. And that's what kind of kick-started mm -hmm. me being part of a more national conversation. Mm -hmm. And that photo going viral through like my face and my feminism into mm -hmm. this visibility that I could only speak to mm -hmm. from a limited knowledge that I had. Because yeah. I'd only, you know, this wasn't a conversation that my mom was having sitting in the living room with her yeah. friends yeah. where I was listening in on feminist conversation yeah. mm -hmm. my whole life. So that photo went viral and it got a lot of fanfare from mostly white audiences. Mm -hmm. um, you know, it was going to the Refinery29, it was going to the Huffington Post women. Mm -hmm. And then one day, Afropunk posted it. Mm -hmm. And you know, Afropunk has a mostly audience of color. All of a sudden, I was getting all of this conversation like, girl, what are you doing? Do you even know right. what the feminist movement has done? Do you understand what you're standing there for? Mm -hmm. Like, what are you doing standing next to this white woman who doesn't even care about you? Like, mm -hmm. do you see what's happening? Mm -hmm. And I was so blown away mm -hmm. by this 
criticism yeah. about something I believed so deeply and I was so proud of being there at the Women's March. Yeah. I was so proud of how I was showing up the feminist movement mm -hmm. and I still am mm. but I had not yet come to that intersection yeah. of yeah. who I was as a black woman yeah. and yeah. who I was as a feminist yeah. and all of a sudden I was thrown into this conversation and I had to be critical mm -hmm. and had to decide which part of me was going to show up and yeah. when I recognized that I didn't have all I was a black girl mm -hmm. who was fairly well educated who was interested in the topic and mm -hmm. even I hadn't come across a lot mm. of the gritty details that yeah. one would probably need to know before they really gave mm -hmm. so much of themselves to a movement mm -hmm. and that's when I decided that if I don't know this mm -hmm. there has to be a lot of other people who mm -hmm. don't know it mm -hmm. particularly white women who mm -hmm. might be repeating the same patterns yeah. of all of these other waves of the movement so that's when I started learning more even deep diving even more into mm -hmm. the movement and that's when I started teaching on my Instagram where I would mm. start I was like I have to share this I recognize wow. mm -hmm. I have mm -hmm. all of these white women who follow me mm -hmm. At the time, I had probably 7,000 followers. Mm -hmm. And when I say white women follow me, these were the people who I went to school with. I grew mm -hmm. up in an all-white area mm -hmm. in Ohio. Mm -hmm. So these were my middle school friends. Mm -hmm. These were my friends from high school. Mm -hmm. These were my friends you know, who I was meeting in places. <laughs> so I all of a sudden ha had to say, mm -hmm. you guys have to know this, mm -hmm. and something has to change, wow. or I cannot be part of this movement wow. that is disregarding who I am as a black woman, yeah, and yeah. Demand, yet demanding that I fight for rights for white women, mm -hmm. who eventually, once they get to the top, on the backs of all of these numbers of black women coming in, yeah. who will again disregard us wave after wave of the movement. Mm. Wow, I love that. It's almost like you were put into, so you enter this engagement, you know, um, where you, you know, very kind of honestly, you know, um, are entering this space and you're taking a stand for something that you believe in, but you don't know all of the history and, mm -hmm. you know, and which is understandable, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, mm -hmm. and in a way that created an opportunity for you to become kind of like an interlocutor between mm -hmm. White feminists and black feminists, mm -hmm. which is really interesting. You know, mm -hmm. it's I'm, I'm reading David Blythe's book on Frederick Douglass, mm -hmm. and there's a whole section in there that talks about after Civil War and they're trying to get you know the rights for black men to mm -hmm. vote, and then feminism is also mm -hmm. our mm -hmm. women's rights is mm -hmm. coming up at the same mm -hmm. time, okay. and a split develops between the two groups mm -hmm. because mm -hmm. the early mm -hmm. women who were involved in the feminist movement during that time were like, no, we want the right to vote as well. Yes, and Douglass was like, well, they're only going to give one group the right. Yes. We need to secure yep. the right for yep. black. And so it's just interesting to see like how, you know, you, you get this development. There's a kind of a schism where initially these two groups were kind of lockstep and key when they were trying to advocate for the abolition yes. of slavery. And yep. then the schism develops. Yep. And then you have a later schism when black women don't feel represented yes. in, you know, general white feminism. Yes. And I'm sure the white feminists who were there did not even think that there was like really a difference between they were advocating for all women. But black women are telling you, said, no, there are some specific things some yes, that yes. you're not aware of that yes. we're here to help educate you on. Yep. Mm. So that's, it's, it's amazing how yeah. you were placed in that position mm -hmm. to kind of serve as that interlocutor between those two groups. Well, I want to speak to the first schism that she said. Yeah. That yeah. these women that we often laud as yeah. the poster women for the movement mm -hmm. looking at, you know, the leaders who were coming up and saying women deserve rights, going up on these stages act under this banner of women's rights, yeah. but it wasn't, you know, mm -hmm. Susan B. Anthony is out there saying women's rights. Yet, if you think, if you really think about it, the only people that they have to campaign to are white men. Yeah. And so there is 
record of Susan B. Anthony and her crew of leaders in this movement coming out and saying, you know, if you have to choose who to give rights to between black people and women, you have to choose women. And that understanding of who their audience is, they know that their audience is white men who would obviously much rather have their wives Mm -hmm. voting for something because at least they could influence their wives and how they vote than a black person who's very clearly going to be critical about how they're moving through the world and making them make shifts that they might not want to make. And so that type of reality Mm -hmm. that these white women who claim to be fighting for women who are still going to play nice with the black women Mm because they still want the black women's numbers Mm -hmm. but when they're campaigning in front of these white men Mm -hmm. there are quotes from these leaders saying if you have to vote for something let it be women and not black women and that just shows the you know the separation in the mind of whiteness of how blackness is not even considered a thing Mm -hmm. if it's not to their benefit Mm -hmm. and or that it's not um it's a second it's a second item of consideration when you're thinking of people but even if when we're thinking about the second schism you're talking about Mm -hmm. where these women are saying you know we want to be able to work out of the house and Mm -hmm. we want to be able to have our own careers what that really meant is we're about to hire a bunch of black women who we're also supposedly inspiring and empowering to come and watch our children and we're not going to pay them well and we're not going to treat them well so we can have the career of our dreams Mm -hmm. so again it was not about all women Mm -hmm. it was about white women getting the opportunity to do things But then we can even bring it into the women's march that happened in 2017, Mm -hmm. where it was a very obviously white march. And I can say, as someone who at the time was working as a nanny in New York City, Mm. all of the black and Caribbean nannies who supposedly were, none of them got a break from watching these white children in order to come Mm. and march at the women's march Mm. too. So there is this constant Mm -hmm. theme Mm -hmm. of white women wanting women's rights as long as it's being supported by and held up by the black women who yeah. continue to support them in one way or another. In a way, I'm, I'm sorry, just just to tie on this last little bit, and then I'll shut up. I think it's it's a kind of like negotiation of privilege, right? It's a yes. gender negotiation of privilege. It's a, it's a privilege that white women have enjoyed, right? Um, obviously, they've been unprivileged or, or underprivileged in a sense of their relationship to their white. It's a hard pill to swallow to, to recognize that I both have to fight for my rights in the yeah. context of the of gender, yeah. but when it comes to race, I also am resting yeah. in this privilege. And you know, it's there's a really wonderful book, and I can't think of it off the top of my head, but we'll get it in the notes. Yeah, that you know, white women own slaves too. That white women often find themselves Mm -hmm. as getting off of the hook in the fight for women's rights, that they're constantly coming up against the oppression of men, which is very true. I see Mm -hmm. that I'm a woman myself, Mm -hmm. but at the same time, Mm -hmm. you cannot separate that from the privilege that is held of being a white woman on a plantation Mm -hmm. where black women were still treated in a particular way and all of a sudden you're demanding women's rights when it doesn't include all women. I love that, wow, powerful. And I see this as very short-sighted because mm. as far as how a white woman might perceive this, yeah. if she's acting from a place of doing only what serves her in the moment, mm-hmm. I think because what she doesn't understand is that at the end of the day, if a black woman is not being raised up in mm-hmm. this movement, her freedom can only go so far. Yes, and, mm. and, and we all have to consider the least of yeah. us. Even me, as Absolutely. a educated, yeah. well-spoken, light-skinned, yeah. conventionally attractive mm-hmm. woman, mm-hmm. I too have all of these privileges that mm-hmm. I have to consider that if the poor, disabled, trans, yeah. you mm-hmm. know, mm-hmm. native woman yeah. isn't being 
held up, yeah. then I'm not getting my space right. too. Yeah. And so that's there deep. is ha, there has to be this continued conversation yeah. Yeah, of the least of us yeah. and the people who are most marginalized and yeah. continue to do those fights. But in a movement that's as big as the feminist movement, yeah. for there to be the numbers of black women that they're calling in and pulling in, expecting something from, but without the intention of ensuring that we're all well cared for, especially in a country that was built on the backs of us, that you're demanding, you know, we're a young country. Mm -hmm. America's not that old. And so these are not conversations from Mm -hmm. a million years ago. These Mm -hmm. are conversations that people can be sitting and having with their great grandmothers still about the ways that they showed up on plantations, the way they showed up in various movements, the way that they showed up in various industries. Mm -hmm. And so we are not too far removed, which means that we are still close enough to the root that we can learn from it and make those very critical changes. Yeah, Mm. yeah, Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. Steve, because I'm thinking about, uh, man, there's so many things that you're like touching on for me. It's because you're talking about this, the advocacy for um, women of color. And I know that one of the areas that you have particular interest in is mental health services mm-hmm. um, dealing in, in relationship to trauma and just mm-hmm. the daily grind or challenge of being a black mm-hmm. woman or a black girl in public space, mm-hmm. in private space. Mm-hmm. And you and I both know that there is stigma associated mm-hmm. with mental health um, mm-hmm. services in the black community. Mm-hmm. Um, there's something about us, uh, it being a sign of weakness. We're supposed to be able to manage, mm-hmm. supposed to be able to overcome and contain whatever difficulties we have because we are strong people. Mm-hmm. My feeling has been, since I, I am a proud advocate for mental health services, mm-hmm. I have a therapist. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I don't know what I would do without my therapist. Mm-hmm. Um, I believe actually that the admission of that or the frank just sharing of that mm-hmm. reality is actually a sign of strength mm-hmm. and health. Mm-hmm. And I'm wondering, as you are in these spaces advocating for mental health services, you started an organization actually that's kind of focused on that. Mm-hmm. And I, I'm wondering, um, what are some of the challenges that you find in, 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 in working with black women, black girls about mental health? Mm-hmm. Um, and also, what are, what are some of the great joys that have come on yeah. as a result of doing that work for you? Yeah, well, when we think about mental health, a lot of our trauma is rooted in our DNA as black people in America, as Mm African-Americans. There's Mm -hmm. so much trauma rooted that we have generational trauma Mm -hmm. in our bodies that shows up in very tangible ways. Um, But aside from the genetics of it, Mm -hmm. you know, I think a lot about how within the African-American community, historically, it has been very common for Mm -hmm. things like spankings and whoopings and very aggressive parenting. Mm -hmm. But when you think about if you're living on a plantation and if your child acts out, Mm-hmm. Yeah. the family could be killed or they could be sold. Yeah. Yeah. Of course, you're going to be a little aggressive in the ways Absolutely. that you're training them. And so that's just passed down understandings yeah. about how to raise your children. It shows up today in ways Absolutely. that doesn't have to, but there's still that fear. But I can't even say that that's not necessary because yeah. if you have a little black boy today who's playing recklessly and the police walk by and decide that he they feel like he's a danger, he could get killed as we saw Tamir Rice in Cleveland. Absolutely. And so this is still a very relevant conversation. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. And so my approach to mental health is this recognition that we need to start making a generational change, a mental, biological change in the ways that we're able to show up for ourselves and for each other. And I think that 
and moving in this space, it's been such a pleasure mm -hmm. to offer a first step yeah. for that for some people. Yeah. And sometimes, you know, there is that stigma mm -hmm. of you're not strong enough mm -hmm. or there's nothing you can do. Yeah. And it's particularly in, in the African-American community yeah. where church is such an important yeah. role in the community Absolutely. that, you know, just pray about it yep. and get through it. Mm -hmm. But if you think about on a plantation, you didn't have time to be depressed. You didn't yep. have time mm -hmm. to mm -hmm. go through postpartum mm -hmm. um, management. You mm -hmm. didn't have time for all these things. So you need to pull yourself together and get back to work to survive. And so these, these are things that we have to shift out of necessity. Like we, we needed to do those things. And so it's, a, it's less about weakness and more about the strength to make the shift and yeah, the strength yeah. to make the change. And so um, my foundation is called the Loveland Foundation. Mm -hmm. And what we do it's is amazing. provide free therapy to black mm -hmm. women and girls. Mm -hmm. And there are a few things about it that I'm mostly proud of. Mm -hmm. This came, well, first of all, the idea came out of, I was attending Columbia University at the time and I finally had... Uh, free therapy yeah, <laughs> for the yeah, first time yeah, in my life. Yeah. And so I was taking advantage of mm -hmm. it and I saw how much it was shifting me, but I also recognized the privilege I had in yeah. being at a university, mm -hmm. having the time to go to the therapist, even yeah. though I was in school. And so I was, I had a particularly good session and I said, I, this has to be available mm -hmm. to more people. Yes. And so, um, I was nannying at the time and I remember I dropped off the little girl I was nannying at her ballet class and I went to the first Starbucks nearby and I mm -hmm. created a GoFundMe mm -hmm. and I said, I have to raise money. And mm -hmm. At first, I was like, I just want to pay the bills of people who are going to therapy now to make it easier. Mm -hmm. And then maybe we could collect more money to get people in. And this was like a total black market philanthropy effort. Like, yeah. I didn't know how it yeah, worked yeah, or yeah, how it would yeah, feel, yeah. but I had to do something. Mm -hmm. And so um, eventually we, you know, I had a serendipitous glory of meeting with a wonderful woman named Charlene Kempler, mm -hmm. who was a nonprofit consultant who mm -hmm. we ran into each other at a co-working space. And mm -hmm. she goes, Rachel, I see what you're working on. How mm -hmm. can I help? Yeah. She came in. She's now the CEO of the organization. Mm -hmm. And now we, you know, have a full staff and we've been able to provide over 20,000 hours mm -hmm. of therapy wow. to black women and girls across the country. Incredible. And these wow. types of stories that come in to say, you know, I just had a baby yeah. and mm -hmm. I would have, I don't know how I would have gotten through postpartum, mm -hmm. particularly particularly in the pandemic, yeah. you know, around the election that was happening and how stressful that was for so many people. Mm -hmm. But one of the other really positive things about um, the foundation is that we are partnering with many listservs of therapists mm -hmm. and organizations that are full of therapists of color. Mm -hmm. And so mm -hmm. we are able to connect yeah. these black it's women so and girls yeah. to people who understand their lived experience, yeah. who they don't have to explain what it means when a black family gets together at Thanksgiving and what that dynamic might be as opposed to what it might look like with a white family. And yeah. that you don't, you know, I used to feel like when I was with a white therapist or a therapist who wasn't of color, yeah. that I had to both explain everything yeah. and yeah. then go into yeah. what hurt Absolutely. me about it. And yeah. so being able to spend the hour yeah. just talking to someone who mm -hmm. understands you yeah. really gives you a more in-depth experience. But then there's this beautiful trifecta mm -hmm. of you know, me being able to start this organization, mm -hmm. the girls, the women and girls being able to get the therapy they need, yeah. and then the therapists getting paid. We're paying black black therapists yeah, who yeah, yeah, yeah. might not always have the opportunity to get as many clients in, in whatever setting. Mm -hmm. And so it's been really wonderful because we're also yeah. building programming around yes. the therapists. Yes. Who we, we, there are not enough black therapists mm -hmm. within the field. Mm -hmm. And so now we're looking at ways on how we can support yeah. the students mm -hmm. to get into the field and to be able to be 
there and do the work. And so now the Loveland mm. Foundation has become wow. this ecosystem yeah. of supporting the yep. mental health world yeah. on yeah. all ends, both for the people who are coming in mm-hmm. and the therapists. And we've been able to provide group therapy for therapists who mm. are part of our network. Mm. And mm. so it's been a very intensive and intentional way mm-hmm. to serve the community in all spaces. And I'm really, I'm really proud of how we've been able to show up. Oh, well, you should be so proud. It's amazing. It's amazing. Uh, you know, I heard a, I, I read an article yeah. recently. I think it was in, I think it might be in the New York Times. Or I, I can't remember which publication it was, but it was, it was about the representation of black psychiatrists in the mm-hmm. field. You know, it's less than 2%. Yes, yeah. it is. It's like one point something. Yes. Yeah. And of course, that's because of a lot of the history of racism in yes. medicine, yes. you know, yeah. but what you're talking about is so important because we need more people who are trained in the discipline who come from all communities yes. so that they can relate to the diversity yes. of the human family. So people feel like they, the person they're talking to, like you said, they don't have to educate them as they yes. also trying to yes. unpack their yes. hearts yes. And, their, and their souls. And know, I so. want to say mm-hmm. that this movement that's, you know, really working to support services that support you know, people of color and and the black community. I'm not black. Mm -hmm. I'm a woman of color. Mm -hmm. I had a very traumatic birth Mm. and my son and I almost didn't make it. Mm. And it was very obvious to me that it was because of how I was handled by the doctor. It fit the description Mm -hmm. of someone that was being discriminated Mm -hmm. against. So my pain wasn't believed. And Mm -hmm. anyway, Mm -hmm. I won't go there, but as I started opening myself up to yeah. the concept of organizations like yourself and 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 the energy yeah. that incredible black women mm. and women of color that mm. are putting into yeah. this space, mm-hmm. I started now looking and Googling and saying, oh, no, I, I need a woman of color doula. Yeah. Oh, I need sure. a woman of yeah. color midwife. And I was like, I'm not going to do this again yeah. until Absolutely. that exists. Yeah. Because I felt so Absolutely. alone. Yeah. But I'm so blessed yeah. because there is this yeah. There's this awakening and there's this moment of just this action yeah. that yeah. is occurring and the energy that you're putting into it yeah. that is helping people, mm-hmm. you know, like I, me, feel safer. What you're saying is so deep and it's so important because, and I'm sure Rachel knows this too, I, I read another article uh, a couple of years ago. I actually have it in my studio. I use it as a resource when I'm working in a studio on, on um, issues, reproductive issues that deal with um, particular uh, marginalized women. But uh, the article was about a condition known as weathering. And I know you're familiar with it, but weathering is, um, it is a term that is used um, to refer to the weathering on the body because of racial, micro and macroaggressions, how it impacts the reproductive system of black women. And they were talking about um, how the the profession of the doula, in particular, Mm. the the study was done in New Orleans. Mm. So it was a controlled study. They were looking at specific women in New Orleans. Mm. And they noticed that when they were given doulas, Mm the birth, the, the healthy births just yeah. shot up mm-hmm. yeah. because, you know, otherwise so many women were trying to manage, tell the doctor yeah. I'm in pain. The doctor's, yeah. you know, not paying attention yeah. to their pain, yeah. dismissing the pain. Yeah, and, and they die. Yeah. They and die. They die. Yeah. And I, I also want to touch on Please. the realities that when you study yeah. African culture, yeah. even African American culture, yeah. going all the way back mm-hmm. far into history yeah. before enslavement. Yeah, yeah, yeah doulas were the birth workers Mm, and mm. when you look at the history of colonization these white missionaries Mm. would go into these african communities Mm -hmm. and they would stop 
the allowance of doulas to start training younger girls who would come up in the profession because they wanted to start shifting them into Western medical facilities. And so they would basically kind of like pay off Mm -hmm. these younger girls to say, we'll let you, we'll teach you how to be a nurse instead of how to be a yep. doula yep. because it would wow. fit into the Western yeah. idea of what yeah. they thought was which better birthing. Yeah. Very patriarchal. And now, which yeah. is very patriarchal. Yeah. But if mm. you think now, you know, in Brooklyn, it costs a lot of money to have a doula yes. yeah. when it was yeah. a very normal part of the community. Yeah. Yeah. Every, you, you, the, the doula lived across the street and she was birthing all the children on yeah. the, on, yeah. you know, in the, in the village. Yeah. And so it's another point of colonization yes. killing us all yes. that exactly. no one wins not even white people win yeah. when the idea of whiteness being better whiteness being yeah. the best way to do exactly. things yeah. is not only you know pushed upon people in ways that kill us yes. but then the way that capitalism comes in and now the very natural normal un yeah. you know moneyed thing mm-hmm. of having a doula be able to come in and help you with your birth yeah. Yeah. now is Price too high yes. that, I that, that people I did, can't even afford yes, it. Yes, that was the reason I didn't actually in the beginning because I was like, well, this is another cost that I'm yes, not going to yes. put That's down. So crazy. And, and it was, and it's the most natural thing to yeah. have a woman who's yeah. been yeah. trained her whole life, you know, being there, yeah. learning firsthand, an apprentice to a woman who's been birthing babies. Yeah. Right. And so the idea that you have to do it in the hospital, it's going to cost you what ten thousand dollars yeah. to birth a child. Yeah. yeah. These are all colonial yes. concepts that have come in and completely ripped apart yeah. this very critical human dynamic it's crazy mm-hmm. it's like the whole you know the, the the work that you're doing the work is really all engaged in life affirming practices mm-hmm. right um working to build new systems new ways of being mm-hmm. that are life affirming because so much of what we do is not life affirming yes i mean fundamental things everybody should have a right to a doula it shouldn't have it shouldn't be a cost that puts you back and not yeah. being able to afford rent or your mortgage it should just be something that's yeah. quite natural yeah and um, we have all of these systems and we've tied in the capitalism and they become you know just the purview of people who have the means to afford it yeah the light the world exists for the rich to be comfortable exactly. in, in all of these ways but even even in a more fundamental level yeah. hearing you about you talk about your birth and I, I appreciate you sharing that you know I am very vocal about the decision I've made to not have children yeah mm. and nothing in me can fathom why I would birth a black body into to exist oh, wow. in this world. That's like deep. like That's I can't deep. That's deep. I, I I I can't That's stomach so that. Yeah. I can't stomach a yeah. reason why I would bring yeah. something into this world to exist in a black body in America yeah. on earth. Absolutely. Like that's, that's so a deep. hard no yeah. for me right now. Yeah. And while I continue to work with my own trauma yeah. and my own feelings around birthing and around mothering yeah. and around being a black woman and yeah. around, you know, even climate change, like, yeah. I don't know what it's about to look like in yeah. 10 years. Like, that's I don't true. want my child suffering, you yeah. know, mm. with, with whatever it could be. Yeah. Um, and while my feelings may change and might shift and yeah. whatever could happen, that's also, you know, I'm becoming, you know, as my career goes, I'm becoming more privileged. So maybe yeah. I have to think like, am I just now I have the money to do X, Y, Z and what that might look like. And then I have to grapple with myself around capitalism and yeah. my mm. own place in that. I never, I never let myself off the hook in mm. these conversations yeah. of how I have to show up. Yes. And so, like you said, we're, it, 
it's sucking the life out of things. Literally my conversation as a cis woman deciding how I want to exist in the world, potentially birthing a child is rooted in race Mm -hmm. and a conversation I have to have with myself and my partners and anyone else who, you know, my mother, Mm -hmm. anyone else who might be having these conversations. Like it's, it's taking the life out of humanity that I have to make these critical decisions based on my my relationship to how whiteness is going to decide to act in on any given space or any given day you know uh, i was thinking about my own mother and Mm -hmm. my mother used to get and this kind of ties back to something that you said a bit earlier but it's related um my mother used to get like hyper vigilant about me like being out of the house um she would always and it it used to get on my nerves when i was a kid because i didn't understand why so she was always like, where are you going? Mm-hmm. What are you doing? Mm-hmm. Um, no, you need to be home by this time. You know, what, what, no, you were where? No, I told you to be here. Don't, don't do that, mm-hmm. you know? I don't want you going in the military. You got to promise me you're never going to go into mm-hmm. the military. And I didn't understand that. As I got older and I began to do research and reflect and think about it, mm-hmm. I began to understand that that, that that sense of concern and hypervigilance is multi-generational. Mm-hmm. She was speaking in the yeah. language of my grandmother, my great grandmother, yeah, sure, my great great grandmother, sure. yes. all the way back to the plantation when yeah. black boys were being picked up, and yeah, 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 yeah. you know, so it, it was—it's just powerful when you realize it puts it in a different perspective because yes. you initially you objectified. It's like, what is wrong with you? Leave yeah. me alone. I'm fine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But as much as you say it doesn't mean anything to her, yeah. she's speaking from multi-generational trauma yes. which is deeply ingrained and a lot of white people when we're when they engage in this conversation yeah. of privilege yeah. particularly it's like well i wasn't privileged like i was poor right right and right, to, right and i had to work and yeah. you know i had to go to the food bank for food and yeah. i you know i didn't have my father or whatever it's like yes that is true yeah. but there's also a whole slew of people who had to go through all of those things yeah. and yeah. consider whether their yes. child would get shot when Absolutely. they just went to school yes. and yeah. considered whether they would die when they decide to birth a child yeah. and so it's not a lack of opportunity yeah privilege is not a a, a an abundance of opportunity mm-hmm. it's it's not what you have to deal with it's what you don't have to deal yeah, with yeah exactly and so as a yes you do have to deal with we, we're all dealing with humanity yeah. Yeah. but people of color are dealing with humanity plus racism so it Ex- makes me yes. think a lot about exactly. you know uh one particular story that I, i'm writing about in my book is that you know i was in middle school mm-hmm. and i was dealing with all of the regular middle mm-hmm. school girl things that all of the girls were dealing yeah, with absolutely. wondering about what my skin looked like mm. wondering about what clothes i was wearing wondering about who I would be dating, who I was Mm -hmm. interested in. Mm -hmm. And we were all dealing with that. But, Mm -hmm. and as all of the girls were being bold and going up to the boys that they liked and wanted to talk to, I was at an all white school. So I'm walking up to the one white boy who I liked. Mm -hmm. And while I had all of the insecurities that every other white girl had, Mm -hmm. when I walked up to the boy and said, I like you, do you want to be boyfriend, girlfriend? He said, oh, I'm sorry, I can't date a black girl. I like you a lot, but wow. like I can't date a wow. black girl. Yeah. So now I also had to think about race yeah. Yeah. as it applied to this very yes. normal human condition that yeah. all of us are experiencing. Absolutely. And that's often the example I give that, yes, we're all trying to pay our bills. We're all trying to raise our kids. Mm-hmm. We're all trying to you know, build a life. But yeah. black people are also trying to survive in the workplace based on how their hair is going to look that day and how their clients or their boss might treat them. These little black kids who are going into school who are having the same struggles with grades, the same struggles with friends. Mm -hmm. They also are considering how their mom was crying all morning after seeing another black man die on Mm -hmm. TV. So it's this conversation of what is added. What are these continued 
blocks yeah. that that give us space between opportunity, yeah. ease, possibility yeah. mm. that are on top of the already human experience. Mm. Wow. Don't, I'm, I'm wondering as, as women, both of you all, I think what you're speaking to is really, is, is uh, it resonates very true with me. And I'm thinking it's a way of what the person, when they're saying something to you like, um, mm. yeah, but I deal with that too. Mm. They're trying to make it, they're trying to make it less um, meaningful or less impactful than what it actually is. It's a, it's a way of, Exactly. It's a way of, of them feeling like they can sit more comfortably with the reality of yes, that. Yes, yes, yes. And, and I, think as, I think as women, you all get that too, from men. I mean, I think as men, sometimes we say stuff like, come on, ain't that bad. You know, I, yes, I mean, you yes. know. And, and often the easiest way for me to teach yeah. wh white women in particular when yeah. I'm teaching in the framework of race within the feminist movement yeah. is that in the same way that a man, you know, when a woman is talking about a sexual assault experience that she had mm. and a man goes, well, what were you wearing? Yes. Yes. That type of gaslighting yes. is the same way as us saying, the police shot and killed a black man. Well, did he have weed on him? What was he doing? I don't care if he had a trap house on his back. I know, that's right. The police do not have a right to kill you on the spot. Yes. It, it, none of that matters. And so that's often the easiest way for me to teach is to say, you know, compare it in that way. And a lot of times I do workshops um, and around anti-racism and it's largely women and mm -hmm. there might be one man in the room. Yeah. And so one of the tools that I use mm -hmm. to teach and it's often the most impactful mm -hmm. way to do it is that I, I say, okay, whatever anti-racism questions you have for me before I leave, write them out and then I'll answer them. Mm -hmm. So then everyone submits their questions. Mm -hmm. And then I ask the one man in the room to come with me and I take him out and I say, I need you to read all of these questions, mm -hmm. but in place of black and white, do man and woman. Right. So he'll come, so he'll come in and he'll say, how do I make, so the question will be, huh. how do I make sure that I'm showing up for the black people in my office mm. at work? Mm -hmm. Or how do I make sure I'm showing up for the black people on campus? Mm -hmm. And so then the man will come out and say, how do I as a man show up for the women on campus. Mm -hmm. And then I say, can you all answer him? Mm -hmm. And they'll say, well, you can make sure that you're standing up in class and you can make sure that you're <laughs> yeah. giving Great. them opportunity yeah. to, wow. you know, do blah, blah, blah. And they have all the answers. And yeah. I'm like, wow. you just answered your own, why are you making it rocket science? Yeah, mm -hmm. I heard that. Questions that you very clearly have answers to. Mm -hmm. And you know, the question, or, or they'll ask the question, um, you know, as a teacher, how can I make sure that the black students in my class are feeling heard and seen? Mm -hmm. But then when I say, how do we make sure little girls are heard and seen yeah. in a world that's dominated by men? It's mm -hmm. like, well, our books reflect them mm -hmm. and we make sure we're teaching them about women yeah. who have succeeded and we make sure that they have a voice when answering questions. Right. And it's like, for whatever reason, mm -hmm. we make race rocket science, yes. but when it comes to gender, mm. we can come up with solutions yeah, in ways deep. that that's aren't deep. always clear. And Why so that's, is that? Yeah. Why do because, we do that? Because mm -hmm. white women mm -hmm. are benefiting from the system too. Mm -hmm. As much as like it, mm -hmm. it, we are never, you know, the person who has a full belly yeah. is not going to demand mm -hmm. that we have more food banks yeah. because yeah, right. they're not even, it's not even crossing their mind. Mm -hmm. Right about food availability. Yeah, yeah. And that's where the, what I call radical empathy comes in, mm -hmm. that you don't have to, it's not just saying, oh, I'm sorry that happened to you. I'm mm -hmm. sorry that you're experiencing right, it. Right, right. Radical empathy is how do 
I play mm-hmm. into what you're experiencing? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And what do I need to change? Yes. What do I need to shift? What do I need to advocate yes. for to make sure you're okay, whether it has to do with me or not, yeah. whether I am affected or not? Yeah. And and I think about this a lot. My mother has polio. She's had it her whole life. So I've mm-hmm. grown up with a mother with a disability wow. yeah. my entire life. And one of the things that that has done for me is that any place I go to, I'm like, oh, well, this isn't accessible. You know, my mom would never be able right. to come here. Mm-hmm. Or mm-hmm. even I remember I was walking down the streets in uh, downtown Brooklyn, and I noticed that there weren't slopes from each from, from sidewalk to sidewalk. Mm-hmm. And if you don't have a relationship yeah. with disability, yeah. there's absolutely no reason yeah. for yeah. you to be thinking of yeah. that. Exactly. But because of my, even though I don't have mm-hmm. a disability myself, yeah. I'm constantly looking around at accessibility yeah. in yeah. various spaces. Yeah. And so yeah. that's the type, and, and I, I, I don't have that radical empathy because I'm such a great person. Yeah. I have it because I was placed yes. in that situation yeah. Yeah. and I was aware, yeah. I had knowledge oh, yeah. and I had to engage with it. Mm-hmm. And so yeah. we have to be actively doing that. I have to be aware, mm-hmm. have yeah. knowledge and engage with the trans community. Yeah. Yeah. I have to be aware Mm. have knowledge and engage and build that radical empathy mm. with all with the immigrant community mm. because yeah. I do not exist in it so I have to be active it yes. has to be an, a decision that I yeah. make yes. to engage mm. because if not it's human nature not to think of it yeah. and so we have to push against these things and yes. be intentional yeah. on how we show up because if to, left to our own devices we would all be in our little spaces worried about what we have to worry about but that's not community yeah. that's not that's not yeah. the world that we live in and yeah. we have to continue building that community yeah. well Nam and I have had this conversation a couple of times yeah. about um, you know proximity, um, understanding our proximity to whatever the issue is. I mean, um, and I, you know, Nav and I have had conversations, and I've told her that I'm really grateful for my experience growing up with my mom, mm. because my understanding of what Black women confront on a day to day basis, mm-hmm. my proximity to that yes. is closer as yes. a result of that experience. Mm. At the same time, I recognize that I still exist in a male body, mm-hmm. and that there are experiences that I will never fully understand. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. However, my ability to empathize with that, even though I don't fully understand mm-hmm. it, was developed in the cauldron of that yes. relationship with my mother. Yeah. Mm. And I think that, that is, that's so important to tearing down walls and building bridges. Mm. You know, I, it's amazing. What, when I'm going through something and something is really bothering me, I'm less, it's less important to me that the person, if there's someone near me, that they understand fully what it is that I'm going through rather than that they say, I'm here with you, mm-hmm. and I'm going to sit with you mm. in this. Mm. And I think uh, another way that we gaslight, we say things like, I'm praying for you. If somebody mm-hmm. else says they're telling me they're praying for me one yeah. more time, I don't know what yes, the heck I'm going to yes. do. <laughs> we, yes. I mean, as yeah. opposed to saying, yeah. I'm praying with you, mm-hmm. or mm-hmm. I'm going to be, I'm in, I'm in yes. this with you. Or I'm going to figure out how to talk to the person who Thank can you. make a change for you. Thank you. And I have, there's a, there's a quote that I say often, of my, it's my own quote. Hold, please. Let me think of what it mm-hmm. is. Um, <laughs> I don't. It, it's I don't want your love and light unless it comes with solidarity and action. Mm, mm. I love that. It's just not your your love and light isn't applicable. Yes. I don't need you to think about me. I need mm. you to do something mm-hmm. in attempt to fix the situation. Yeah, yeah. And so this idea of you know, I say I need you to send your love and light mm. and call your representative. Mm. I need you to send your love and light and demand a change from the principal who mm. isn't disciplining, you know, mm-hmm. who, who mm-hmm. is making light yes. of the racial issues at the yes. university. Yes. I need you, you know, yeah. there needs to be action in action, in, in action as well. And yeah. so when there's a lack of that, mm-hmm. it's really just performance. Exactly. Yeah, it's just performance. Yeah. And, and I always, and I often, one of the most impactful things I can say within my work of anti-racism work mm-hmm. is that anti-racism work is not self-improvement work for white people. Mm. 
I don't need mm. you to read more books so you have more information in your brain mm-hmm. and you're a better person. I need you to have more information in your brain that pushes you to have more intellectual conversations with your family exactly. around the dinner table yeah. about how they need to be considerate about where they're spending their money mm-hmm. and yeah. how they're voting. Mm-hmm. I don't need you to pay out cash to organizations if when you're sitting around the table with your family your racist uncle is having a good time joking about xyz that Mm. is impacting the lives of the black kids in the neighborhood Mm -hmm. and so there has to be this knowledge Mm -hmm. this radical empathy and this action and that is my formula for being able to show up as an ally as an accomplice Mm. as someone who is being intentional Mm. to change a thing how about sharing when we've had conversations about um, just about life and 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 particular about uh, women? Uh, one of the things that she shared is that some of her greatest pain has come with um, uh, with the breakdown of relationships between women, women not supporting one mm-hmm. another, and um, mm. and I remember you and you can speak about this better than I can, but I, I would love to hear your thoughts on that. But Nava, perhaps you can speak a little bit more about that. And um, it's heartbreaking. Yeah. Because when women come together, they can change this entire world. Mm. I mean, they are they make the world. Yes, <laughs> yes. But when they understand, one, how powerful they are, mm. and two, when they actually come together, mm-hmm. so much of what the patriarchy kind of sets up so that women stay subservient, stay submissive, yeah. Yeah. is that they set us up for competition. Mm. They don't set us up for collaboration Collaboration. it's so that it supports the system so Mm. anytime i'm around another female Mm -hmm. that operates in that light Mm -hmm. i i just think you're just acting as you're you're living that oppressed Mm. life day in and day out Mm -hmm. and you're supporting and just hiking up this patriarchy Mm -hmm. every Mm -hmm. single day yeah yeah yeah. um and so that is a it's it's a great source Mm -hmm. of pain Mm -hmm. for me Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know what your relationship well, is. The thing, how this shows up for me, mm-hmm. whether it has to do with women mm-hmm. or particularly around race, mm-hmm. is that we have this misconception mm-hmm. that we're handed at birth mm-hmm. that the more in proximity you are to maleness mm-hmm. and the more in proximity you are to whiteness, yes. the better. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That shows up mm-hmm. in our language yes. and you think about someone being whitelisted or blacklisted. Yeah. It shows deep. up in, mm-hmm. um, you know, aesthetic. Mm-hmm. You know, if the straighter your hair is, the closer to the European mm-hmm. pers- ideal of beauty, yeah. the better you are. Yeah. It yeah. shows up in language. If mm-hmm. you talk white, that mm-hmm. is, is an assumption that you're smarter. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And even I yes. think about, I, we were talking about language earlier, yeah. mm-hmm. thinking about Patois and Creole, oh, yeah. that they say it's broken French right. or mm-hmm. broken English yeah. to say that the closer to the most proper form of a language yeah. makes it better, even though those languages, it's very few white people learn how to speak Patois or Creole, that it's, it's, it's just as yeah. complicated yes. and dynamic as yes. any other language. It's, it's not broken anything. Mm-hmm. Yes. Every English borrows from Latin. Yeah. We're not broken Latin. We all borrow from yes. each other's languages. Yes. 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 But when it's something that's created for and mm-hmm. by the mm-hmm. black community, yeah. it, it has to be mm-hmm. regarded yes. as something, as trying to be white, but less than. Less than. Yeah. And so this mm-hmm. approximation, this crawling crabs in a barrel mm. trying to get to as you said and and I, and I say this a lot when we're looking at the feminist movement mm. when we're looking at race issues mm-hmm. particularly for perhaps your listeners mm. in in particular 
those of us who are doing this liberation work, mm. those of us who are doing this justice work, mm -hmm. we have to be honest and intentional with ourselves and say, am I just trying to get the power yes. or am I trying to change things? Mm, mm. So if we, you know, it makes me think of the presidential election, you know, we yeah. want to change things. We want to change things. But then when you get the power, you're relishing in the power and you're not actually changing the, the things for the people that you said you were going to change it for. Yeah. And so this, you know, um, for, women who fought to get an education and now they're the deans of universities yet they're not fighting just as hard for women of mm -hmm. color to get into right. these spaces they're they're really just role-playing the men who they replace right yeah and so and we have to consider for black people who are doing this liberation work and you know they're able to get to these places where they're able to make decisions but then they're just role-playing the white people who existed there and are not opening the doors and yeah. they're not being intentional yeah. Yeah. and yeah. so we have to be critical with ourselves yes. and mm -hmm. say am i fighting because mm -hmm. i'm mad i don't have power yes. or am i fighting because i recognize the justice that's not happening right. in yes. this right. space Absolutely. and that's something that we have to grapple with ourselves as we continue to pursue mm. justice work mm -hmm. yeah yeah I mean, it's powerful because I, I think uh you know so much of this is about um the imposition of what we would what we can, what we can call the insistent self or the ego, mm -hmm, right? Mm -hmm. What you're talking about, mm -hmm. and really, I mean, it's like the, the 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 people, the cats who I admire down throughout the ages who have made these lasting contributions, men, women, variety of different cultural backgrounds. Um, there there was a there was a recognition that yes, they have a platform, right, or they are positioned in such a way that they get they get the opportunity, they are afforded the opportunity to speak to these particular mm -hmm. issues. Mm -hmm but they are service oriented and mm -hmm. service grounded mm -hmm. first. Mm -hmm. So there's this idea that in a way that they are leading through service, mm -hmm. you know? And um, I love that quote that Dr. King used to say back in the day where he would talk about not everybody can, you know, um, be in front of television cameras or, or give speeches in front of, you know, mm -hmm. hundreds of people. He said, some people sweep streets. He said, but if you sweep streets, sweep them so well that the host of heaven will say there indeed like mm -hmm, a great mm -hmm. street sweeper. So the sense that no matter what it is that we are engaged in, it is service oriented yes. and mm -hmm. service directed. And, and there's, there's, there's a variety of people who show up for the work. Yes. Me and my friend Ebony Janice were just talking about how we have to decelebritize activism mm -hmm. that it, it has yes. become like a celebrity yes. sport yes. in yes. a very odd way yes mm -hmm. yeah a very concerning way mm -hmm. when the truth is you know the person standing up in front of a crowd motivating and inspiring yeah. Yeah. is doing just as important necessary work mm -hmm. as the woman in the kitchen making yeah. the meals for the babies yeah. while Absolutely. their parents are out marching Absolutely. Yes. and that every yeah. single aspect of this mm -hmm. is necessary and you know hearing you say that Martin Luther King quote mm. makes me think of yeah. There's no winner unless we're all winning. Absolutely. We're all pulling each other up. Yes. And going back to the beginning of our conversation, yeah. unless the least of us are yes. winning, yes. we're exactly. really not winning. Yeah. And, yeah, yeah. and so there has to be this yeah. intention of service and community. Yeah. And 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 what even this idea that even this truth that we have to remind ourselves of community mm -hmm. is a very 
Western white yep. colonial concept. Mm. Absolutely. People used to yeah. live with their families their whole lives. Yeah. But, you know, when you get to America and they want you, they want to sell as many homes as possible. So they mm. create the nuclear family in which now everyone must separate to have more houses. So yeah. now we have more land to sell and more materials to mm -hmm. sell. Mm -hmm. And now there's more of an economy mm -hmm. because we're separating families. Mm -hmm. And instead of everyone just live, if every, if all families lived in the community way that mm -hmm. we have traditionally mm -hmm. in villages mm -hmm. in Africa, mm -hmm. even in some like, old white communities mm -hmm. like we would live mm -hmm. in these communities mm -hmm. but capitalism has said everyone needs a car and everyone yeah. needs their own room and yeah. everyone needs their own house and yeah. this has created a culture of individualism mm -hmm. that has really hurt us in so many ways yeah. 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 and and that idea and that mm -hmm. individualism mm -hmm. has fueled our egos yeah. in yeah. ways that say I have to and it creates this competition Absolutely. now I want a bigger house than my sister has yes. and then yeah. my cousin has and yes. I want to feel like I am as good as everyone and you know this yeah. idea that you have to as soon as your kid turns 18 you got to kick them out the house and they need to go to college to pay now yeah. we have a college industry and now yeah. we have a you know there's all these industries that have been created yeah. Yeah. that have picked apart community mm -hmm. in order to make things less cohesive and yeah. service oriented yeah. and more individual, which mm -hmm. is, which is something that I have been making consideration of and yeah. how I move through my life mm -hmm. and saying, am I doing this because I feel like it's really an accomplishment or am I doing this because it's how I want to live my life? Mm -hmm. And this, I, you know, in a lot of times the answer is I'm doing this because I thought I had to, or that it proved mm. my success or that mm. it proved my, yeah, what, my worth or my value, <laughs> but it actually doesn't align with my values at all. If my values yeah. are community mm -hmm. and I'm, and I'm saying that in order to be successful, I have to do X, Y, Z and it's not aligning with community, then it's mm. just not, it's not a truth. I, you know, I would imagine that sometimes, you, you and I have also had this conversation too. Yeah. I would imagine that part of the reason, apart from multi-generational trauma, economic disenfranchisement, um, that one of the reasons why, a, a profound spiritual reason, mm -hmm. why indigenous communities, why um, other communities that are more communal in nature don't thrive in a... Um, in a materialistically driven economy is because they are community-based. Mm -hmm. And so it is antithetical yes. mm -hmm. to the inner reality of how these people yes. have existed in community yes. for generations. Yes. So you come up, you're hitting heads with something yes. that does not, not only doesn't feed you in, a, in an abundant material sense, and I'm not talking about having the biggest house and the nicest yes. car, but it doesn't feed you spiritually. Yes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, you're finding that these communities, though, spiritually yeah. have developed. Yeah. We have to return to that. We mm -hmm. have to yeah. learn Absolutely. from that. Yes. Absolutely. Because what this world yeah. is lacking yeah. is everything yeah. that these communities mm -hmm. have been building on yeah. for centuries. Yeah. Not just built on, but like did well. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And this, the climate crisis. Mm. Indigenous people did not have a climate crisis. No, they did not. They no. were the the earth was sacred sacred yeah they were in relationship with yeah, it absolutely they are still in relationship mm -hmm. with it and they're yeah. certain and, and the way that they exist very naturally mm -hmm. is in deep service to everyone else around yeah. mm -hmm. unintentionally mm -hmm. because of the way that they show up in the world yeah. and and it's just so wild that it's like oh well let's learn from them yeah 
it was always here. Yeah. And, and it's one of that, that brings me to thinking about um, a lot of times in the conversation of race, mm-hmm. there's, you know, there was this big thing of like, oh my gosh, if, if all of the immigrants come to America, they're going to take our jobs and they're going <laughs> to yeah. change our life. Right. No one wants to live like you. Yeah. No one's out here trying to take your big house yeah, and right, right, your, exactly. irrational, your irrational amount of cars. Right. And that's one of the things about race in particular, particularly mm-hmm. African-Americans mm-hmm. is that the fear that whiteness has mm. around giving up its power yeah. is mm. because whiteness assumes that people of color will treat them the way that they treated us. Yes. And that's a valid fear. Yeah. yeah. But we're not trying to enslave y'all and it, we're not trying to yeah. do, you know, do all of the things yeah. that have been done to us. We just want our liberation. We yeah. want to be able to live off of the land in the way that we've always said. We want to be able to live in community. We're not trying to take over your universities. We want to do our oral history and learn yeah. from each other. We're not trying to take anything. Yeah. We just want our liberation to live in the ways that we do yeah. and doing in, in the ways that we find value in. Yeah, exactly. And that is where a lot of the power mm-hmm. struggle comes in is because those who have power mm-hmm. are worried yes. that those who are looking for liberation will begin to treat them mm-hmm. the way that they have treated other people historically. Mm-hmm. And the reality and is we don't have a legacy of doing that. And at so all. it's an irrational fear. Mm-hmm. And I have a dear brother of mine who's a white brother who is an ally. He's a sincere ally. He's doing his work mm-hmm. consciously with intentionality. When he gives public talks, he says, you know, there is a fear that exists in my community. Mm-hmm that the black community, if they gain access to power, Mm -hmm. will seek revenge. Mm -hmm. And what he tells his audience is, that's irrational. Mm -hmm. There's no history of black folks doing that. Mm -hmm. He said, on the other hand, black folks have a very real and understandable fear and apprehension about white communities Mm -hmm. because of the history. So there's that awareness. And just to speak to people of color who yeah. are constantly engaging in this conversation. I'm constantly engaging in this yeah. conversation of trauma and pain and frustration. Yeah. Yeah. And me and my friends have been being intentional about talking to each other about something else, reading books yeah. about something yeah. else. Yeah. Like I want to read a book about yeah. a romance. Right. Yes. I want to read a book about, you know, mm-hmm. I don't want all of the books on my shelf to be about how black people continue to survive, yeah. you know, whiteness in one way or another. Mm-hmm. And so one question we've been asking ourselves is, you know, I'm, you know, I, I find such talent mm-hmm. in my ability to speak, my ability to write, my mm-hmm. ability to be creative. Mm-hmm. What would I be doing if I wasnn't putting that towards anti-racism? Mm. Like I have so much in me. My yeah. friends have so much in yeah. them. Yeah. You know, the writers, the artists, yeah. thinking about the artists. I, one time I went to a quick story. One time I went to a, a film festival mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. in Brooklyn mm-hmm. and it was a short film festival and I was so excited mm-hmm. and I was sitting in this audience mm-hmm. of like, all the and it was in, it was kind of in the middle of the day. I was a nanny at the time, yeah, and so I yeah. kind of had some daytime availability mm-hmm. while the kids I nannied were at school. And so it was a bunch of older white people who mm-hmm. were retired and who were just at this film yeah. festival. But all it was a black short film festival, yeah. and n- seven out of the ten films mm-hmm. were addressing police brutality. Mm-hmm. And while all of the white people were like being entertained and like at this film festival that yeah. got them cultured, yeah. I am weeping yeah. in the back corner saying. This was exceptional cinema, and we're wasting it on trying to convince white people to see us, yeah. for us to survive. Yeah. We could be re- we could be telling epic love stories. Mm. We could be telling beautiful stories of family. Mm. We could be telling beautiful stories of nature in mm-hmm. our relationship. But black people continuously have to use their. If we're not on a plantation yeah. in the same way we were, we are using all of our work and mm. our labor to 
convince Mm -hmm. white people Mm -hmm. either of our humanity to tell our stories and Mm -hmm. things like that and that destroys me and so a lot of my work now is saying what else can I do with my creative power what Mm -hmm. else can I do with my imagination Mm -hmm. what else can I do in the world Mm -hmm. that isn't rooted in educating Mm -hmm. isn't rooted in survival Mm -hmm. isn't rooted in all Mm -hmm. of these things and so I I just want I'm any opportunity I get is to challenge black people people of color Mm -hmm. to find new ways Mm -hmm. to exist in the world Mm -hmm. outside of simple survival and activism I'll tell you I'm you know I'm so grateful that uh, we were able to spend this which feels far too short amount of time with you because um Mm. i really feel like you know your your activism your engagement in the service-oriented work that you're doing springs from a kind of inner source of light which i think we're sitting in this beautiful space there's light coming in the windows but it feels even brighter that you're here with us and um i just want to thank you for bringing you um, into everything that you do, into this space with us, and for sharing your gifts and your talents and service-oriented work that is about uplifting us all. So, Sister Rachel, thank you so thank much. Thank you, I it's appreciate it. Those are such kind words, and I appreciate <laughs> yeah. you both having me. Thank you, no, of course. It's been wonderful. And thank you, Nava, for hanging. Thank you, As Masood. always. Oh, no, my God, it's my honor to sit here. Driving the ship while I'm, I'm co-piloting. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> has been wonderful. Thank you, Rachel. Thank you. Thanks, Nava. Thank you. Thank you.